Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If you are, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has tons of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you, along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours too. So do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 166 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Thursday, November 21st, 2019. My name is Josh Cannon, and I am here with my intrepid co-host. He's like the Sacagawea to my Lewis and Clark. His name is Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Just dealing with a little bit of stress today. Uh, Got a test for a class that... Um, I bombed the last test for this particular class. It's an online class for uh, dis- anthropology of diseases and epidemiology. And one part I blame myself because I don't think I studied as well as I could have. But another part I also blame the structure and everything because I don't know about you, but a 60 minute exam online where you can't skip questions, you can't go back. You have to answer every question in order, plus short answers where you have to like write a short answer, uh, little brief essays. And it just seems like a lot for 60 minutes, especially when the multiple choice questions and fill in the blank and all this other stuff is so damn complicated. I mean, she was asking us to, like, fill in entire, remember, entire sentences of, like, massive blocks of text. So, that was just a, a bit ridiculous. Did you say it you was open me. book? It was, but by the time you find the answer in this these massive block of text, you've, you're already behind. Now, my so, qu- that's what happened with me. I, 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 it took me forever to find the answer for one of these things. I lost track of time, and then I had like two minutes, to, a minute or and a half or something like that to answer like 10 questions. And I wasn't even able to do the short answer question because I had no time. Now, what is the purpose of an open book test, really? I mean, at that point, it's just who can find the answers quickest in this book and get the test done but it's not a, it's not just a book though, it's multiple different uh, PDF files, uh, scans, uh, powerpoints, and three different books. <laughs> yeah, but still, like I, even I like I forgot all about the open book test uh, yeah. in, until you brought it up before the uh-huh. podcast when we were talking, and, and and it just goes to show me. Just how stupid college is in general and how, like, it's basically just well, with, like much with, with, of other school. It's like it's it's retaining and then spitting out on a test. And if you don't put it into practice, then you'll forget every single bit of it as soon as you leave. 
which is what I did with a lot of my classes. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, with this one, it I understand why there's open book because it's a, a shit ton of fucking information, and it's unrealistic for anyone to actually memorize all of it. Um, but the way that she structured her test, it seemed like that's what she was expecting that you would you know the reading and it's like there's so much fucking reading like i'm sorry like i that's not realistic at all like if you assign this much reading it's not realistic for anyone to remember all of it off the top of their head so i just felt she set a lot of us up for failure and she extended the time a little bit on this next to test 15 more minutes uh but she also admitted she didn't set up her study guide as well, and uh, hopefully she set it up better this time around. Because she was saying things like, oh, the study guide is not for the test, it's for the reading. Like, I'm not going to give you the answers. They're like, what's the point? Why are you giving me a study guide if it's not even for the test? I, I remember, <laughs> I might have already told this story on the podcast, but I remember I was in this... Uh... I want to say it was like a remedial math class because that's just how stupid I was in college when it came to math. And I still, I'm still not the greatest at math, but um, I remember like doing so bad on one test that I got, I just got pissed off like in class. And I started looking at all the people who sat around me to my left, to my right, in front, behind. I was just looking at their scores too. Because it was all got laid out on everyone's desk. And everybody had around the same shitty score. And so I just like piped up. And I was like, hey man, you know, this test was really unfair. You know, you had stuff on this test that you didn't even teach us. Yeah. And that wasn't even in the chapters uh-huh. you told us to read about. And, you know, I got like a fucking 30 on it. And I, I'm, I'm like, I'm like bringing other people into it. I'm like, yeah. this person right here, I'm looking at their paper. They got a D. This person got an F. I'm just putting all their grades on blast <laughs> in front of everyone. Um, I felt like Ricky from the Trailer Park Boys. Just like, just no, uh-huh. no, no couth whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, I just was like, I was like, dude, I was like, this test was messed up, man. Like your, your teaching methods are not setting us up for success it's setting us up for failure and like i felt i felt like i like broke him down or something because he was like uh well did it you know did anybody else does any you know did anybody else do well or, or did anybody do well on this and i think maybe one girl raised her hand in class or something so he probably ended up uh changing that yeah, he ended up uh, like doing some kind of a curve. Yeah, some kind of curve on the grades yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I almost felt bad for him because he looked like so defeated after my tirade. But like, it's no, like, I think sometimes you have to do that. Yeah, I mean, you got you got you. It's like they are they are human beings. They are not perfect, and they can fuck up their lesson plans. And if if nobody yeah. says anything. Then you're just gonna fail the class, and exactly. and they're gonna and and everybody looking at your your uh, transcript, they're gonna that's gonna be on you. That's not yeah. gonna be on the teacher who fucked up. That's gonna be on mm-hmm. you because nothing was said in the moment. Yep. So it's almost like I hate that. I hate that when you get tests and they have questions that they didn't really cover uh, in class. They didn't really prepare you for. Like that's just completely totally unfair. 
Yeah, I mean, especially when it's like, this test is going to be over chapters like, I don't know, 10 through 20. And it's like, man, am I really... And it's like, it seemed like every test growing up, they picked the one little... It's almost like the hidden area in a video game. Yeah. They pick the one hidden little little tiny footnote of a spot and they focus uh-huh. all the tests on that. Not on yeah. like the mainline shit you were doing. It's like the one little oopsie kind of technique thing there. If you didn't see it, if you blinked, you missed it. It's like that's what half of our fucking questions are going to be. Yeah. It's almost like they, they're trying to be dickheads. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, 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 feel, I feel you. Um, giving I, me I've flashbacks really here, Mike. I've gotten really upset about, you know, test scores before in the past, you know, just, you know, the total test score stress, you know, you're already stressed out before you get the test back, you know, you're, you're squirming in your seat a little bit, you're just nervous, you get the test and it's like horrible and you're just like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You're> just- <laughs> yeah. There's there's the day where I remember actually leaving class and I like slammed the door behind me. So I was just pissed. Oh, I would have liked to have seen Angry Mike. <laughs> Dude, I had a weird dream about you the other night where I started attacking okay. you. Yeah, I st- Huh. Yeah, like like your mom owned a department store and you were <laughs> and you and I were working in the department store and you were being like super like oh, I, I have to, like, watch out for my mom's department store. So you were, like, you started, like, gesturing to her, like, from across the store that I was stealing or I was doing something wrong, and I, I like, wasn't. And I think you got me in trouble, so I, like, chased after you, and you were, like, running <laughs> away from me, and I was so pissed off in the dream. I was like, you little fucking snitch, tattletale motherfucker. <laughs> and I caught up with you, and I started beating you. In the dream. That is insane. Yeah, and you got all bloody and shit, and then instantly I felt regret, because I was like, oh, yeah. shit. Like, I done <laughs> fucked up. Like, yeah. the cops are going to get involved. This does not look good. <laughs> and I was, like, running through this creek to escape, you know, and just run uh-huh. away from everything. And I, I knew that I was like, fuck, you know? Like, I hope he did. I hope I didn't kill him, you know? And um. I think I think at that point I woke up and I was like, "What the fuck, man? Like, what's wrong? Exactly. With, what's wrong, what's wrong like, with me? Because <laughs> you know, like that wouldn't happen. So that's just that's on really any weird. level. On any level, you, your <laughs> mom know. wouldn't own a store. You wouldn't work there for her. I wouldn't work there. <laughs> and I wouldn't. I wouldn't snitch on you. So like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, well, that's good to know, Mike. I mean, that's something that I might actually, you know, might be useful in the future. Like, if we ever go to a crime convention, which I I don't know at this point. It could happen, but I'm not holding my breath. But if we are there, I could... St- well, the I- reason why, when you know, I'm saying that is because I'm pretty damn sure you wouldn't be stealing any merchandise in the first place. So Well, that's just because I'm, I'm constantly surrounded by people who, who would snitch on me, so... By you saying you wouldn't, maybe that would set me up to where I feel I would feel like I could get away with it, and I might start my life of crime at that point. <laughs> so, in other words, you'd blame you'd blame everyone else. Yes, for your uh, for your decisions. Well, I mean, you know, it's like that's what a lot of people do. They're like, "Oh, I didn't choose the life of crime." Well, a lot of people seem to think I'm an asshole, and I just look at it like, "Well, a lot of people have problems." Because I'm amazing, you know. I'm 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 a gentleman. Well, no one's perfect, but 
No, I am. I, mean, I am probably an asshole. I think it's because I. Just, I, just, I probably don't like consider people's feelings enough, like in public. Like I, I I'm, yeah. I'm not polite enough and courteous enough. I, I was taught to be outspoken too much, you know. Mm-hmm. And you just can't be outspoken in this world without in polite society without people thinking you're an asshole. I mean, it's just impossible. Even if you're saying something that's not necessarily that egregious, if you're if you're being very vocal in any way, it like it it rubs the status quo the wrong way. I think it depends on what your status is, your social status is, or your uh, financial status is. Like if you have like a lot of power, you know, you can say all kinds of fucked up shit, and people are just gonna be like, oh, whatever, you know. Um, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that if you well, I mean, there are people going to definitely going to think you're an asshole. I mean, look at Alex but Jones, they're, but know. they're not. They're not gonna. It's not the same as someone who doesn't have the same type of wealth or or, or power. That's what I'm talking about. Like they they would be more willing to call you out publicly because you don't have a lot of power or influence. Versus someone who has, you know, wealth and influence. That's what I'm saying. Like, those are the people they'll call out behind closed doors. Or, like, when they when they leave the room. All I'm saying is, I'm voting for Pete Buttgeig for president if he gets the Democratic <laughs> nomination. Because I want a President Buttgeig in the Oval <laughs> Office. And don't try to tell me his name is Booty Judge. I, I You know, that though... Also hilarious, but Geig is better to me. So, I don't know. The Democratic... Josh just wants that just so he can uh, break out his Beavis and Butthead impression. (laughs) Hey, but Geig, when are we going to invade some other country? That'd be cool. Yeah. But, uh, no, um, I'm pissed off currently. You know, Mike's pissed off about college. I'm pissed off about our healthcare system. I'm not going to go on a huge diatribe about it, but... You know, long story short, back in April, I had some weird lump on my collar oh, or yeah, shoulder. That thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were freaking out, yeah. thought it was cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I still have it. You know, I mean, that that I got a, a. And I was, I kept telling you, it was just a muscle knot. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is, dude. I don't know if it's a muscle knot. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's apparently not cancerous. It's apparently normal tissue per the uh, CT scan that they took. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Well, because of all that, anytime you have any kind of medical anything, you get tests done, and, and those cost uh, a lot of money. And at that point, I um, had to pay out of pocket, but since I had paid, it's so complicated and boring, I paid the binder on my insurance, so it technically was effective, but it wasn't going to kick in until, you know, a few days uh after my tests so they said you can go ahead and pay for it out of pocket and then we'll just reimburse you and they made it seem like it was going to be this easy walk in the park kind of process and i was like oh okay i'll just do that then so i end up paying like i don't know probably like a total like six or seven hundred dollars in in medical expenses and i thought i was going to get reimbursed for everything it was going to be the simple process i submit some forms i submit my bills nothing is simple Oh, you buddy. You know that already. Oh, buddy. It has been this huge, drawn-out process that I'm still going through to this fucking day. I, I, I got off the phone with one of the ladies. It took me 
three or four phone calls. This is the general thing that would happen. I would call Florida Blue. I don't give a fuck about outing them. I would call Florida Blue. I would say, hey, I submitted my reimbursement forms. I submitted the receipts. Where's my fucking money? Essentially is what I'd say. They would go, oh, we don't see where you submitted your forms. Oh, let me check this other folder. Oh, here they are. They were never submitted. I don't know why that is. Call back in three weeks. I'd call back in three weeks. Oh, you never submitted the forms. Oh, they're in this other folder. You did submit them. Oh, they were never submitted. I'm going to submit them this time. I promise. Call back in three weeks. Rinse, wash, and fucking repeat. That's terrible. Like, that is literally just them screwing you up. Oh, yeah. And I would ask them. I'm like, hey, I've called like three other times. I've talked to, oh, what's the fine young man's name? I've talked to Roger. I've talked to uh, Paige. I've talked to, here's their reference numbers that they gave me. And they all said the same shit. And now you're telling me the same thing. I don't trust you anymore. I would like to speak to a manager. I am the manager. Well, I would like an elevated phone call to someone above you. I'm sorry, sir. We can't do that. So what do I do then? I I have to take your word for it that you're going to actually do it right this time, even though nobody else literally has shown that they've been able to do that. So finally, Man, it, so- it sounds like it's just the insurance runaround kind of thing. I mean, it's kind of what happened when I got hit by the car. They the insurance company would, would call me and they would ask me for a detailed description of what happened. And I, I gave him that. And then they would call me back like, what, uh, a week or two or a little bit later. And they were, try- they were trying to tell me that they don't have it. Like they don't have that recording. And I was like, no, I don't buy that at all. Like I, I literally was on the phone with-, with one of your representatives and I told the story. And I gave you my, re- my recollection of what happened and the details. I do not buy that for one second. And then just in a span of like 30 seconds, they're like, oh, yeah, uh, we found it. Yeah. That's funny how they find shit miraculously. And it's funny how when you complain to their social media page every single time, shit gets done all of a sudden because that's what I did. I went to their I went to their Florida (laughs) blue Facebook page and I you can go to it right now. If you search Florida blue and you're able to find their Facebook page, you can find my complaint lodged under the uh, posts in there. And uh, I told him, I said, look, you're not getting rid of me. I, I told him exactly what happened. I, I gave him, I even aired the reference numbers. I scanned the damn document and put, attached it to my post so everyone could see I wasn't just blowing smoke. And, um, oh, wouldn't you know it? I got, a, uh, I got a response right away, and they gave me a different email address now that was different than the email address I was given on the phone tree system. And now, all of a sudden, I have this lady calling me personally, saying that she's going to handle my case, and... You know, she's she's advocating for me and she's already called up all these uh, places that I, you know, had bills with and she was handling everything and blah, 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 blah. It's just it's fucking funny how all of a sudden shit got done. And she even told me she's like, yeah, you're definitely going to want to go through our social media channels next time. It's a lot quicker than the other channels. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh, because I'm airing all your dirty laundry out for everyone to fucking see on social media. When it's the phone tree (laughs) system, when it's the 1-800 system, nobody gets to hear how you're fucking me over. It's all internal recordings for training purposes only. But when it's social media, everybody sees that shit on blast. And that's bad for 
for your bottom line. And only when we start hurting your bottom line, your, your, PR, do- your yeah. dollar, that's the only time you start giving a shit. And that's, ladies and gentlemen, the American healthcare system and why it's fucking corrupt. And this is the letter that I got that before I contacted social media, they said, Dear subscriber, we recently received documents from you that were bad scan in capital. So it's some proper term (laughs) that I don't even know. I'm supposed to know as a customer what bad scan means. It goes, the guidelines for submission are, tell me if anybody out here knows what the fuck this is talking about and how a basic John McDipshit like me would even know how to decipher this. It says the guidelines for submission are CMS... Hyphen 1500 billing instruction, black ink on a blank red CMS 1500 form, courier print font and uppercase letters, print should be dark and legible, 12 pitch pika characters, never bold or italicized print, properly aligned and contained with the specific fields, document must be printed in portrait, not landscape. It's like, dude, kill yourself. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) What are you talking? What? What a fucking run around where do i, I get mean, a red cms form what are you talking 12 <laughs> pitch pika character what are you talking about like this is that's ridiculous this is like man. some internal inside baseball shit that if you worked at yeah. florida blue you would know about this is what they expect the average consumer that to is fuck so with. ridiculous that it, is literally they might as well have just put up a bunch of hoops lit someone fire and told you to jump through them Yeah, I mean, this was the shit that I was dealing with before I went to social media. Then, all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, it's it's simplified, and we're taking, yes, sir, we're taking care of it. It, it, Dude, it's like you literally have to hijack their social media page like you're a crazy person at a bank, like you're John Q, like hijacking a hospital because the health (laughs) insurance won't fucking help your son out until finally you get so sick and tired of it that you're like, I'm going to fucking take this building like under hostage like you motherfuckers are gonna help me like that's a proverbial uh, obviously not realistic please don't put me on any list but that's the proverbial lengths you have to go to to get any help from anybody and that's our first unexplained mystery is josh's healthcare crisis and why (laughs) i haven't gotten my fucking reimbursement back yet and i'm even gonna put that in the title because how long i took going through this whole thing so you guys will know what to expect in this I wasn't even expecting I was going to get this pissed off about it, but honestly, it's been oh, simmering man. underneath the surface for a long time now. This it probably it probably helped. I bet you feel better getting that out of no, your No, I do feel a little better. I do. I do. But anyways... No, I feel you, though. That's bullshit. Yeah. That is 100% pure bullshit right there. So anyway, this is a podcast called Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Thank you for uh, any new listeners that we've had recently. A few new people joining the group that are, uh, you know, very kind and, you know, yeah, all that. So that's cool. And if you want to join our Facebook group, it's it's super fun and awesome. And it's a community of great people. It's uh, Facebook.com. Go to the groups section or go to the search bar and type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries and go to the groups tab and you'll see... Our fan page, which is kind of worthless, go to the groups. That's where you want to be. Answer some questions, and you'll be in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast heaven with some some benefits in there that I won't mention on here, just to, to whet your appetite to do that. But this week, we have two picks from the show Unsolved Mysteries that were Mike picks. So if yep. they suck, blame Mike. <laughs> Handpicked by me. Yes. Um, I know one of them, for sure, definitely does not suck. Um, but the first uh, case we're going to be discussing is the uh, 
kidnapping of Kevin McElroy. Yes, or McElroy um, as actually it's uh, Kyle McElroy. Um, is it Kyle or Kevin? Because it's Kyle. Kyle's his son. Okay, all right, I got you. Yeah, so this was a a later unsolved mysteries case, uh, season twelve actually. Um, I believe I think this was in the same. I don't know if this is in the same episode as the last episode of the series or not. It might have been because uh, the other case we're going to be discussing was in the last episode of the series. Yeah, and you can definitely, especially the case we're going to be talking about, the Anthrax case, you can definitely tell at this point there that this is this is latter latter season unsolved mysteries. Still, still fairly strong. I, to me yeah um, for sure for, for what it is i mean uh, especially for um especially the 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 second the anthrax case especially that one uh this one it looked like they also had a little bit more production values than some of the other uh, reenactments from this last season because they actually managed to get a swat team and right you know stuff like it that. definitely had a uh, csi kind of you know uh, <laughs> a feel to it to a certain degree yeah. you could see that they were trying to kind of keep up and Show started losing a little bit of its uniqueness, but you still had Robert Stack. You still had, you know, the the music stabs and, and all that. And this was still a, a a good case. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was. It was definitely a good case. Um. So anyway, Kevin McElroy, McElroy, whatever, had a flourishing manufacturing business in East Texas with over thirty employees, and his eighteen-year-old son Cal worked there as an evening supervisor. Now, at the beginning of the segment, though, is unintentionally hilarious to me. Because you have the guy who's playing uh, Kyle, the actor, and he just shows up. He's like, "All right, let's let's. I'll show you how it's really done. Time to show." You guys well, they're how it's they're really they're done. doing uh you know yeah. uh, coworker banter. The right uh-huh. the writers had to try to write some good coworker banter. So day shift was leaving, and Kyle was part of night shift. He's like, "All right, now night shift's here. We're gonna show you how how it's done. You know, or now yeah. now some work's gonna really get done. Whatever the hell." But it's just the way that he. Yeah, he performed that line. Just cracked yeah. me up. Yeah, the, he just saw. He's just walking in there with swag. <laughs> Unsolved <laughs> Mysteries wasn't doing. Wasn't good at trying to do comedy or trying to do like contemporary way teenagers talked or young people talked. No, they were good no. at like period pieces, western shit. They would good. They were good at scary shit. They were good at like murder situations, rape situations. As awful as that sounds, they were good at writing. That missing persons. Missing persons. They were good at that kind of dialogue, but whenever it came to like just casual ways young people interacted or behaved, <laughs> they, not so much. So uh, anyway, on March 10th, 2000, at 9.20 a.m., a woman called the office and demanded to talk to Kevin, who was Kale's father. By the way, I'm going to be saying Kyle like Cartman the whole time because I am 15 years old. <laughs> anyway, the woman called herself Sarah. She claimed that she kidnapped Kale. She told Kevin where to find Kale's truck <coughs> and that there would be more instructions inside it. She also threatened to kill Kale if the police were contacted. At first, Kevin thought that it was a joke. Then Kale's voice came on. He said, Daddy, do what they say or they're going to kill me. I don't know if he said if he called him Daddy. Yeah, I don't know about that. Daddy, do what they say or they're going to kill me. The way you say it sounds like it's some kink. Daddy, I'm not on birth control. Sorry. Um, It it, it might as well be. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, uh, 
the Kyle was. I'm tired of doing Cartman's voice already. I'm abandoning that. Uh, he's saying, "Daddy, do what they say, or they're going to kill me." So the dad felt like it sounded like a recording of Kyle. Despite Sarah's warning, he called the police, who followed him to Kyle's truck. An officer posing as a rancher pulled over several feet away from it to kind of monitor the situation. Inside, Kevin found a note that said, you have seven hours to come up with $200,000. Do not call the police or we will kill your son. We- now, this uh, particular sequence uh, showed uh, him actually break through the window of the truck, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, I thought that was uh, shot pretty well. Also, I want to mention the actor who plays uh, Kevin, the dad. He ha- He really bears a striking resemblance to Louis C.K. Yes, he looks very much like a a dark-haired Louis C.K. Um, But I was saying earlier before we started that that I think pretty much any kind of uh, Anglo uh, white guy, middle-aged, who's balding is is going to look like Louis C.K. in some way, shape, or form. But yeah, this guy definitely, the actor bared a striking resemblance to a a -a now-a-days Louis C.K. That's how I know it wasn't Louis C.K. because... yeah. Back then, Louis C.K. still had hair back in 2000. But, um, yeah, so um, they wanted... It was basically a ransom for $200,000, and they were going to call later at the plant. After leaving the truck, Kevin arrived at a meeting point with investigators. At that point, the FBI became involved. All of the employees were sent home, and uh, at 4 p.m., Kevin and two FBI investigators arrived at his office. At 6.30 p.m., Sarah called asking for the money. He explained that he could only get half of it. He tried to stall her so the FBI could trace the call. He wanted to speak with Kyle, but she said that he was fine and hung up. A few minutes later, she called back and told him to go to a phone booth where he would find more instructions. And they traced the call. They traced it uh, to a rural... Uh, phone booth, which that word just kills me every time. Oh, I know. Me too. That's a very hard word for me to say. Rural. I got to take my time (laughs) with it. So um, they tracked it down to a phone booth in the middle of nowhere. There we go. And of course, (laughs) you know, they were long gone before the cops got there. I mean, I wonder what they do now, because there really isn't that many phone booths around. So do they call on like untraced phones? So they call on like track phones or something? Yeah, probably. Burner phones. Yeah, that's probably burner phones. That's probably what they do now. No more payphone, mysterious payphone calls. Yeah, I mean, shit. If you call from a payphone right now, like tracking it wouldn't be very hard. It's like, well, let's see. There's one working payphone in Jacksonville, (laughs) so uh, gee, wonder where they could be. (laughs) So at 7:15 p.m., Kevin arrived at the phone booth that he was told to go to, and he found a note at the bottom of a trash can next to it. Now, these ransom, these kidnappers, they were setting Kevin up for failure, man. In this re- absolutely, in this, re- in this reenactment, they said that the note was going to be at the phone booth. Not only was the note not at the phone booth, the note was in the bottom of this trash can. Yeah, he went through the trash. This dude had to <laughs> dump this trash out, and there were like people walking by and shit, and he had to like sift through all this garbage and unravel crumpled up pieces of paper until finally finding the note at the bottom of the trash can. What the fuck? Like, it's like, did these people want the money or no? You know, like, they sure didn't make it easy for him to find. And who's to say... No. Who's to say, like, 
whoever owned the uh, property that that trash can was on wouldn't be like, hey, empty that trash. It's like really full, you know. So, yeah, I thought that that was crazy that they, you know, and that he was able to find it even. So, well, yeah, because uh, there there is an opportunity, you know, that that could have happened where, oh, that trash is just too full. We need to take it to the back. And then if that happened, then they're not going to find the note. Right. So the note ordered Kevin to deliver the ransom money to a laundromat half a mile away. He then received another call at his office that told him where to find Kyle. He had the FBI listen to the calls and they traced the next one to one of his employees, Victor Ferretis, whose real name is David Rios. He was soon arrested, as well as the two other conspirators, Ernesto Balion and Alfredo Romero. And this is where you have the... Uh... SWAT team that comes in. Yeah, they tried to... Uh, they actually shot in night vision. Yeah, yeah, which was pretty cool. Yeah, they tried to receive the ransom money, and the FBI had staked out the area, and uh, it's pretty much when, as soon as the two conspirators came up to get the money, they, you know, swarmed in. So Balion broke down and told authorities that they would find Kyle, claiming that he was still alive. Tragically, when he was located by the FBI, he was dead. He had been choked. Like, that's just so... I mean, after all of this, right. after going through all of that, uh, dealing with the deadline, you know, you have seven hours to come up with $200,000 or we will kill your son. And you're dealing with that and, you're, and it's a race against time and, 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 you've, and you've somehow found a way to actually beat the odds you caught some of the conspirators you know you you've scrounged up enough money to please them you think and they're gonna give you your son back and he's waiting the fbi's out out and about looking for his son and they come back and they tell him he's dead i mean can you imagine being in his shoes in that in that situation, that's yeah, awful. I mean, I'm sure he. When you hear that some that a loved one of yours is like kidnapped and there's a ransom, I think that most people have like a fifty fifty thing riding in their mind, like you know fifty percent chance that they're already dead and they're just trying to get money out of me, or fifty percent chance that there's this glimmer of hope that I might be able to get this person back. But then you have a witness and. Um, what I think might have happened, I kind of have two theories. I have one theory that what might have happened was when the two conspirators went to fetch the money from behind the laundromat and they were swarmed by the uh, FBI or SWAT team or whatever, I think that the, there was some kind of signal that that might have set off, whether... I don't know. It could have been some sensor on one of the uh, conspirators that was set up. There, who knows? There could be some. I don't know. It seems a little bit complicated. Some Jason, these, Jason these, Bourne shit. I don't know. These two. There could have been a beeper thing, a cell phone thing. Someone could have been st watching as the conspirators went to get the money just to make sure they weren't, you know, swatted. And it could have been anything. And maybe that set in motion the murder. You know. I think he was dead before that. That would be my other. My other theory is that they got him i think they messed up i don't him. think they were supposed to kill him and one of them fucked up and killed him and then they were all like well well we still want the money i think it wasn't necessarily a fuck up i think what it was was um if the second if my second theory is correct that they killed him and thought they were going to be able to get the money too that way you had well, yeah. no witnesses 
and you had the money. So, um, so yeah, he was uh, choked to death and bound with duct tape. Yes, and uh, he was killed before the phone calls were even made. Rios, Balion, and Romero were all charged and convicted of kidnapping and murder. So basically, whenever Kyle was like, give him the money, daddy, they'll hurt me. They basically made him make that recording and then killed him. So they played the recording. You know, the father even said it sounded like a recording. So it was, you know. The FBI soon identified Sarah, the unknown voice on the phone, as Desiree Dawn Lingo Perkins. I don't know how many fucking names one can have, but that's close to the world record. I mean, seriously. She was a prostitute known to frequent local migrant worker camps. She is now wanted for capital murder. And uh, she was captured. In October 2004, Perkins was seen by police officers in Nuevo, Nuevo Laredo, Mexico. They noticed her trying to flee from them by weaving in, of, in and out of traffic on a bicycle. <laughs> I was trying to flee from the some police low on rent, a bike. That's some low-rent-ass <laughs> high-speed police chases right there. World's... World's least dangerous police chases caught on tape. <laughs> oh my! God. I, I I almost no. I I, I don't almost. I want to see that tape. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Because you know they have a recording of it. I wonder if she had the little like uh, ring 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 thing on the handlebar, like fucking. Oh my god! They caught up with her, identified her, and extradited her back to the United States. She admitted to her involvement in the crime, pleaded guilty and is now serving a life sentence for Kyle's murder. Amen. Alfredo Romero was sentenced to 30 years, Ernesto Balian was sentenced to 50 years, and Daniel Rios was sentenced to life. Fuck you, so, motherfuckers. Exactly. Fuck them all. But, uh... What, why do you think they kidnapped and killed Kyle? I mean, was it for money, or was, was there, you know, and I get the money thing, but... Was there another motive involved? Because one of the one of the coworkers, one of his coworkers is involved, who was considered to be a friend of his. Right. Well, you know, he built this. Him and his dad built this profitable, um, kind of mom and pop cottage industry, and I guess they figured that, hey, it's just this small time thing, you know, we could probably get over on them, you know, and rob them and, you know, get a lot of money out of them and, and, and get away with it because it's such a small operation. I mean, you do, yeah. you do that shit with, uh, you know, uh, Coca, like, okay. Say, uh, my mom used to work for Bacardi, uh, the, uh, rum company, Castleton beverage. And she worked at the plant here in Jacksonville. And, you know, the security was like insane. And there was, you know, security clearances and gates and, uh, you know, it was just so large that there was, there's no way you could, uh, you know, the president's son wasn't going to be hanging around the premises, you know, nor would, well, yeah. would the president be. They'd be up in their ivory towers, uh-huh. you know, they're not handling the day to day operations. So I think in this case, it being a small yet lucrative operation made it tantalizing, as Robert Stack would yeah. like to say. I just don't. I don't just don't get the murder part. Yeah, because I, I don't, guess for me, I see a lot of ransoms, a, a good ch- amount of them. They don't actually end up killing the person. So, well, um, you know, they were. It was someone that he he recognized that he worked with. So, mm-hmm. that that might have been. You know, part it, was, of it. it was like, yeah, I definitely can identify this person. I know exactly who he is. 
So it's like. But if you go, you know, take the money and then go somewhere else, like out of state, like. See, see what I'm talking about? Like, it's a. <laughs> was the murder really necessary? I don't know. No, I mean, so no, it also... it's never necessary, but, you no. know, they're little bastards. So that's what they do. Oh, exactly. Yeah. They're a bunch of fucks. Uh, so it was profiled on America's Most Wanted, and it was also covered on some really lame titled show called Cuff Me If You Can. Ooh, clever. <laughs> so uh, the second uh, case we're going to cover is one that I can't believe we haven't covered yet. Like, how did this fall through the cracks for like two years? <laughs> Uh, and that is the infamous case of the anthrax letters. And no, we're not talking about one of the founding four or the big four of the thrash metal scene in the 1980s. No. So I wish we're we talking about the deadly spores of bacteria that can kill loads of people with just a very small, minute amount. So on Tuesday, October 16th, 2001, Norma Wallace reported for work at the post office in Trenton, New Jersey. Norma wasn't feeling well and thought it was a mild case of the flu. But as the day wore on, she became increasingly ill. She could barely breathe. Now, I want to give this segment a lot of props for how it's edited. I, I thought it was really unique and a really cool way of showing the two different individuals who were exposed to the anthrax they have a it's it's like a split screen effect so you have and I, like, I did not like that either i thought that looked i thought that looked very out of uh the aesthetic of unsolved mysteries it, it was out of the aesthetic but it was unique and as as a fan of film and stuff like that and since this was a later season i thought it was pretty cool for me personally, I understand why you, you weren't a big fan of it. But at this point in time, the show had been around for, what, almost three decades at this point? So it would make sense that it would evolve in some way. But I mean, it still had Robert Stack and it still had these really strong cases. And there were still moments where it was still had that creepy vibe and atmosphere. I mean, for instance, the shots of the mysterious guy in the in the biohazard suit playing around with the anthrax spores. Like that 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 was pretty uh well done in my opinion from a cinematography standpoint. With how they lit it and everything with this really eerie green light. Um but the split screen stuff, I mean I'll take that over what they did in the the reboot with Dennis Farina. Oh yeah. I mean, I'll take literally anything over the Farina reboot, but I just, I, it's a, it's a good segment, you know, but, um, I, I this is where Josh and I differ. Yeah, like I, I like it. I know. I, I mean, I liked it too. Don't get me wrong, but like just the, the deviation from the aesthetic was, was just so much. No, I meant that I meant, I meant I like the split screen thing and you don't. Oh That's yeah. I mean. No, I don't like it at all. Um, I also don't like, I, I, I'll, I'll it, it, I mean, again, I do like the segment, but the, uh, the, <laughs> 
the acting in it wasn't bad, but when they, when like, for instance, the uh, uh, one of the postal workers, the guy, when he like, when he was like sitting down at his desk when when yeah. he was starting to get sick or whatever, it literally uh-huh. with the lighting, everything, it literally looked like one of those old like when you have a migraine, you need instant relief. Like it, and it just shows yeah. the guy sitting down at the desk or, or heartburn. Really. Yeah, like when you have a headache this big, you need Zantac or you know whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like it literally looked. Uh-huh. It was shot like and looked like something that would just be a generic, uh, over-the-counter, you know, medication commercial <laughs> to me. So, um, as the day wore on, she became increasingly ill and she could barely breathe. Some 200 miles away in Washington, D.C., another postal worker, Leroy Richmond, was suffering nearly identical symptoms. He, too, became gravely ill. In a matter of days... Both Norma and Leroy were hospitalized, and their conditions grew worse by the hour. They seemed to be slowly suffocating to death, Ugh. and doctors couldn't figure out why. It's got to be the worst. I mean, I, as someone who's had panic... It's essentially drowning without any water. Well, I've had, I've had, as someone who's had panic attacks my whole life, um, one of my main symptoms of the panic attacks was uh, hyperventilating. And when you, like, hyperventilate really bad, yeah. you you literally feel like you're suffocating, like you can't... You like you feel like you're not you're not getting enough air, and it it and that's because you aren't you aren't getting enough. Well, air. <laughs> actually, you're you're uh you're getting you're fine on oxygen. You're getting too much. You're air. getting too. What you're doing is you're you're um holding in too much uh car CO two. Mm-hmm. You're not exhale. You're not exhaling out enough. Yeah. And too much CO2 in your bloodstream makes you feel weird. It makes you, it gives yeah. you that feeling of, you know, feeling lightheaded and feeling weird and feeling disoriented. That's the kind of thing that happens, like, if there's a gas leak. Yeah, so um, you're, you're actually, and this is something, uh, a nurse, because I used to go to the clinic every day in uh, seventh grade because I'd have a panic attack every fucking day, and I thought I was dying every fucking day. And I'd go to the nurse's office, and I was like, ah, I don't got enough oxygen, I can't breathe, help me, ah. And she's like, look at your nails, look at your fingernails. And I, I looked at him, she goes, see how pink they are? She goes, your oxygen levels are fine. And that just kind of stuck with me. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, that's just a little anecdote. But you know, I basically I say all that to say that uh, the feeling of uh, suffocation is like one of the worst things ever, and I don't recommend it. Well, of course not. I mean, and but there, I mean, there are some people who get off on that. Yeah, I, I don't, and, and and I think because it's more controlled, you know, it, like you get off on it because you know that someone's uh, in control of of choking you or or whatever, and you can get out of it whenever you want. But there's other people who do it themselves. I mean, that's how I think David Carradine. But again, though, even with that, again with that though, like you are are on some level in control. When you're having a, a panic attack, uh, you're you're not in control. Oh yeah, that's the whole thing no, that freaks people out is you're, you're just not in yeah. control of it. So it's well, like, just like when you get exposed to anthrax, you're not in control either. Yeah, like the band or the uh, bacteria. <laughs> so after uh, administering a battery of tests, they finally came up with a diagnosis: anthrax poisoning. Like millions of other Americans, Leroy and Norma were aware that anthrax had killed a man in Florida just days earlier. Now they were suffering from the most deadly form of the disease. Suddenly, in the wake of September 11th, the nation faced a second wave of terrorism. 
just really poor timing. <laughs> but it would have been bad timing, and you know, any any time, because it's just really awful and genuinely horrifying because of how easy it is to put anthrax spores in mail. It was so easy for them to do that, to send that into the into the uh, mail and have it circulate through the postal system in New York. It was so easy to do that. Probably isn't as easy now. I think I think they have more precautions and more things in place to prevent that from happening. Yeah, I remember when this was going on. Like it, it literally was like, literally. So close to September 11th, it it was like just like one blow after the other. Like first September yeah. 11th happens, and we're like fuck, and then this anthrax shit happens, and it's like good lord, man, can we just like catch a break here? Yeah, I mean it, it would feel like that, uh... and like to this not maybe not to this day, but for a really long time, anytime I'd open up a letter. Uh, I would think about, you know, what if there's some powder in there? I remember ricin was another yeah. chemical that was being put in uh-huh. letters that was uh, being sent to, like, political officials. That, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, to this day, I, I kind of think in the back of my mind, if I get a mysterious letter, oh, there might be some powdery thing in there, you know? So it, it's it, not it's not the cocoa. No, no, it's not the... It's not cocaine. No, and it's not, <laughs> it's not cake mix either, although I wish it was. So... The anthrax terror plot came to light on October 5th of 2001 in Boca Raton, Florida. 63-year-old Robert Stevens, a photo editor at the Sun newspaper, died after he was exposed to anthrax spores. Experts believe they came from a letter that was opened, but the letter had been thrown away. Its origin, unknown. Suddenly, federal investigators were thrust into the world of bioterrorism. According to Van A. Harp, assistant director of the FBI's Washington field office, it proved to be no ordinary crime scene. We don't have a crime scene in the traditional sense. We don't have witnesses. And we really don't have anyone that we can call an informant at this point. The same week in Manhattan, NBC News and the New York Post received anthrax-tainted letters. But this time there was a clue. Postmarks on the envelopes from Trenton, New Jersey. A swarm of FBI agents checked every mailbox in town for traces of anthrax. They found none. Now, another thing I want to point about the point out about this particular segment is it's got music stings in it that kind of remind me of like Law and Order at times because <laughs> you have the dun dun <laughs> dun dun. Those actually, if you. And I know exactly what you're talking about, and this shows how much of a fucking nerd I am. If you recall, those same stings were in the Rick's, uh, not not Rick's Revenge, uh, Rick's Rampage. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, when um that chick was dating uh Rick, mm-hmm. um, what was his last name? One of the one of the Rick most Church. Uh, gen- yeah, one of the most genuinely terrifying segments yes. of the show. Yeah, but that same exact Jun Jun. <laughs> Jun Jun. That was in that. That was in that uh, segment too, which which led me to believe that that must have also been a later unsolved mysteries uh, segment. Which, if so, that's one of their best. No, it, I don't think it was. I think that was still a fairly early. Uh, I don't think it was like super super early, but I don't think it was like season twelve. Well, let's or see here, kitties. Rick Church. 
And that was, if anyone remembers, when we covered that case, that was one of the only times I, I went in post-production and added music to uh, our podcast um, for that when I started explaining what happened, because I felt like that yeah. was such a heavy... Yeah, because it had a great score. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. It aired on the November 7, 1990 episode, so yep. yeah, that was a long time ago. So yeah, they, very... they used that again. Oh, they... Well, I knew that. I knew that because of the way that it was shot, you know, with the... With the vintage early unsolved mysteries type of cinematography and uh, editing and stuff yeah, like that God, what a, especially what a especially the lighting the lighting yes. in the later seasons is nowhere near as mysterious not a, it, the cinematography is like MIA in the later seasons well i think it's cuz it's cheaper oh yeah which is sad because nowadays it wouldn't it, it would it wouldn't no. be uh more oh, expensive yeah. you could do it you know you could do it good for mm-hmm. Uh, Which is crazy because I remember when Unsolved Mysteries aired, it was praised for being so successful despite it being such a cheap show. You know, so <laughs> I mean that 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 that's kind of ironic that as the series would go on, like like it's too expensive. You know what else is ironic, Mike? It's not cheap enough. What? Rain on your wedding day, a free uh, ride when you've already paid some good advice uh, that you just didn't take. Uh, and who would have thought it figures? Ooh. How'd, how'd that make you feel? It sounded like uh, you were like audibly like tormented. Yeah, it was. It was very tormenting. Oh. It was. It was uh, audio sonic. Weapons grade torture. Weapons. It was weapons grade. Yeah, as they say in the segment here, the anthrax was so potent it was weapons grade. So that was a a good reference to that. So then on October 9th, 2001, in Washington, D.C., two more letters laced with anthrax were discovered. Once again, they were postmarked Trenton, New Jersey. This time, politicians were the targets. Senators Tom Daschle and Patrick Leahy at their offices in D.C. According to Dr. Merrill Nass, the letters contained a form of anthrax so pure and concentrated, it was termed weapons grade. This is dangerous, dangerous stuff. It was estimated that two trillion spores went into each of those envelopes, which would have been two grams. One envelope may have had a hundred million lethal doses. Damn. I don't know about you, but that's chilling. That's spine chilling stuff. That's not dangerous, dangerous like that that's just putting it lightly. You know, this is spine chilling, bone curdling, nightmarish stuff. Cause it's not even it's like so it's it's a it's powder, you know? It's not like uh this ginormous missile with this huge, you know, explosive capability. Yeah. They could just drop anthrax spores. On an entire city. Or put it in the water supply. Yeah. You know. It's like, why does this shit exist? You know this, sh- I mean, it, it, it exists in nature in some way, but you have to, like, synthesize it and prepare it in a certain way for it to be this lethal. And fucking humans, man, we'll figure out a way to destroy ourselves. Don't worry, Mother Nature. We'll, we'll do the, our own killing for, yep. for us. Under the right conditions, just two grams of anthrax could potentially wipe out one-third of the U.S. population. Two grams of anthrax. It's not that... It's it's barely anything. And that could potentially wipe out that much of our population. 
That's terrifying. Now, I wonder what under the right conditions means, because that sounds almost like yeah. a clickbaity statement, you know? Like, yeah, it does. Like, if you go in depth, oh, well, by under the right conditions, we meant, like, you know, if it was in, like, every guy's mustache and they inhaled, <laughs> you know, then technically they would die, you know? That would be the no, right condition for it to happen. But, but I don't know. Uh, anthrax is still really lethal. It's considered a grade A bioterrorist weapon, which is the highest grade of a potential bioterrorist weapon i know this because i actually learned something from this class that i'm taking wow <laughs> drop the mic no <laughs> so notes contained uh within the anthrax laden envelopes had similar handwriting leading authorities to believe that they came from the same source and the note said, um, I can't even read. So this is a, what the fuck? I, I can't read it. The The pictures that they have here are so fucking small. Uh, it says like death to America, death to Israel. Allah is great. Take the penicillin now. Doesn't spell it correctly, but okay. Uh, and then there's another one like, I have the anthrax, blah, blah, blah. Are you afraid? Death to America, death to Israel. Allah is great. Now, understandably, though, the investigators, they didn't automatically jump to, you know, it's another example of Arab terrorism. Uh, they also thought it could be someone who wanted investigators to think that Arab extremists were involved. Assistant Director Harp said the FBI was looking at three broad possibilities. The first being international terrorists, domestic terrorism. We're looking at some of the individuals within the United States, and then we're looking at the lone wolf as well. Now, I have, I don't I'm not an expert at terrorist notes, but are they like this? Are they like this? Just I'm just gonna say like this simple. It's just like death to America, death to Israel, Allah is great, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's there's not a whole lot of uh, variety there. You know, this is this this is uh, going to be one of those cases where I'm going to say I have no fucking idea what a terrorist note would look like. I guess any note that strikes terror either. in somebody is technically a terrorist yeah. note. Like uh, me getting a letter saying that I owe child support would technically be a terrorist letter. <laughs> Do you? No, you don't. No, I don't have kids, thank God. Or that, that I know that of. Would be That'd be crazy. Just like, here you go. There was that one support. wild and crazy <laughs> night me and Mike had in San Tropez last summer. <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck San Tropez is. What is that? A Californ is that in California somewhere? No, I think it's in. I think it's in Italy. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's spelled San Tropez. All right, but it's spelled. It's pronounced anyway. So by October 20th, postal worker Norma Wallace was fighting for her life. Her temperature had soared above 100. She was in shock. The anthrax spores were releasing a lethal toxin, causing blood vessels to break and the bacteria to pulse through her bloodstream. I felt like I was dying. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Once the spores enter your lungs, they actually attack the tissues and the lymph nodes, and this causes the anthrax to actually take possession of your body. I found that a uh, term interesting to use there. Like it, it literally takes possession of your body. So like anthrax is just moving you around like a puppet. 
That's it. Sounds like uh, like that would that's how that would be like the origin story for like a Spider Man villain or something like <laughs> Anthrax. <laughs> I'm Anthrax. It took over my entire body while working in a laboratory. I have the power to make you incredibly ill and to control your limbs. <laughs> You will at first be out of breath, but it gets so much worse. Yes, I know it's not as glamorous as Venom or Carnage or the Shocker, but it's uh, it's pretty deadly. I am Anthrax. That's better. That's better than Typeface. It's an actual villain. Spider-Man is face. Typeface. He just throws. He th- he <laughs> he has like letters and shit printed on his face, and he throws letters. What the fuck? <laughs> what who who's his sidekick comic sans man <laughs> i am the most uh, hated font in the world Sp- spider-man's had some some lame villains he had a villain named swarm who was just a bunch of bees that's, that's that really that i mean swarm. if swarm was like a a dude in a bee costume and the bee costume was cool enough that wouldn't be well he was a man at one point but now it's just a bunch of bees with sentient okay yeah that's what are these are these some like deep cut comic book uh villains because i've never heard a little bit yeah i've heard of any of them i've heard of like mysterio and dr lizard and shocker and i mean just lizard dr connors oh okay well (laughs) fucking mike (laughs) the lizard (laughs) <laughs> whatever uh um but uh yeah no he had he has some lame villains but it makes for some fun banter with spider-man you know when he faces off with a guy like typeface like he just cracks up you've run so, you've run out of ink <laughs> so the prognosis for leroy uh richmond was also grim suffering excruciating pain leroy laid helpless as his lungs filled with fluids even worse was the fact that the doctors knew their most powerful drugs were rarely effective in fighting the silent killer. Leroy recalled how he practically stared death in the eye. I, I think I was a- as near death then as I was ever going to get. My breathing had become so shallow that I was actually panting like a dog would breathe. And I heard a couple guys say, man, he's not going to last but a couple hours, and that'll be it for him. Miraculously, though, both Norma and Leroy survived their harrowing ordeals, uh, but not without a lot of complications. Like, apparently, like, even a year or two after you get over the anthrax toxin and what it has done to your body, it's still in your body. Yeah. And there are still other complications that come with that. In fact, uh... A lot of people who survive anthrax are not the same physically ever again. That sucks. Yeah, it does. I mean, you're alive, but there's other complications that come with it in terms of other health issues and problems down the line. I mean, even even uh, the uh, Norma, she was talking about how... Am I going to get my memory back? You know, am I going to lose my memory? Which apparently is, is the side yeah, effect I don't know. Why, why would it fuck with your memory? I think it probably has to do with maybe brain cells have died because of, like, the, the la- you know, the lack of oxygen. Or maybe she was more or less referring to uh, working for the U.S. Postal Service and how that was just, that just made her go crazy. Yeah. It had nothing to do with um, the anthrax. They showed a reenactment of like how it might have gotten in the air and that, and they showed like all that. It was just, it was really uh, 
scary because it was just like oh and uh, Leroy was talking about how he could he might have been exposed to it and he was like well you know it was in the mail room and then there was this dust in the air and that's probably when I I breathed no, it no, in no he goes he goes there's this dust in the air and I opened the letter or something he goes yeah. oh my goodness and he's like when I said that I could have inhaled it or with some shit like that I'm like what no it was he didn't open a letter it was in what happened was in the the letter sorting machine area uh I think it got punctured and then it went through the vent system and then came out while he was uh in in another another room um and that that's that part's really really scary because apparently that's what happened with a lot of other people that actually ended up dying from anthrax because four others uh there were four other anthrax victims were that were not as lucky uh that died in Washington, D.C., Leroy's co-workers, Thomas Morris and Joseph Kersine, and in New York City, hospital worker Kathy Nguyen. And three weeks later, Audie Lundgren and Derby, Connecticut. And those are ones where they believe some of them were exposed via a letter. Other ones, like, they were just, it was just a trace amount that got into their mail. And that was enough to off them. That was enough to kill him. Well, one of them was a very elderly-looking lady. Yes. So. Oh, exactly. But there, but Kathy Nguyen, I, you know, she's a hospital worker. Um, but yeah, I mean, still, that, that's pretty. I don't, I don't know. Just like a little trace amount, and like, and it's not like it wasn't really intended for you personally. It's intended for somebody else, and then when it went through the mail sorting system, just a little bit got in your mail, and. You're fucked. Yeah, that fucking that that's like I said, man. That was like a fucking scary time. Like you would understandably be paranoid of of any mail that you would get for months. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, to this day, I'm I'm still kind of you know weirded out by opening a you know a mysterious letter. Yeah, that comes from somebody that you don't know. Yeah. So there actually is an update, um, and I'm going to go to the wikia for this. It, is, it has more detail. So, and also, uh, there's some detail left out from the uh, unsolved.com that I, I think is a little important to to mention. Uh, they pinned down that this particular type of anthrax was something that could only be found in six research labs in the United States. So they figured out what uh, strain it was, uh, and it was the AIM strain. And it was confined to only six research labs in the U.S. Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana, Flagstaff, Arizona, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Utah Desert, Columbus, Ohio, and Fort Detrick, Maryland. This led them to believe that the perpetrator had access to one of these facilities. The perpetrator also had to have certain equipment in place to place the anthrax into the letters. In May of 2002, scientific analysis of the genetic fingerprint of the anthrax spores determined that they came from only one of two labs, either the U.S. Army Proving Ground in the Utah Desert or the USAMRID in Fort Detrick, Maryland. 
Investigators are administering polygraph examinations to workers at these two sites. They hope that someone has information on the attacks. Apparently, there was a $2.5 million reward that was being offered to leading to the person or persons responsible for the attacks. So the person behind it was actually captured. On August 6th of 2008, federal prosecutors declared that government scientist Bruce Edward Ivins was responsible for the anthrax attacks. They revealed that they were bringing charges against Ivins in the case. Ivins was an, an infectious disease scientist at Fort Detrick, Maryland. Ivins had been considered a suspect for several years and was actually one of the country's leading anthrax researchers helping in the case. Which is crazy. Like, he was actually helping the FBI try to find the guy who did this while he's the guy who did it. Yep, uh, the place that you'd least expect, I guess. He was first brought to the attention of the FBI by a former colleague who recalled him sending emails to her about his involvement in the anthrax investigation. Based on photographs he sent, she believed that he was bragging about being responsible for the crimes. Why the hell would he be emailing that shit to anybody? Especially co-workers? What did he email her uh, a note that said, I did it? <laughs> like that other, you know, like the kidnapper who wrote the notes? Or, or, or no, it was the guy who killed someone who wrote down like, ah, uh, da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So he actually wrote a note detailing what his plans were. So she had also suspected him of being involved in burglary, harassment, and vandalism against her and other colleagues during the 1980s. What a rebel rouser. Finally, letters had been sent across the street from a sorority that the colleague was associated with. However, it was not until years later that he was more thoroughly investigated. At the time, the FBI was looking into another suspect, Stephen Hatfield, who was later cleared. In 2006, investigators looked more closely at Ivan's. They discovered that around the time of the attacks, he had spent several late-night hours alone in his lab after he was supposed to be done with work. He was never in the habit of working excessive late-night hours in the lab, either prior to or after the mailings. Scientists hired by the FBI had matched four genetic mutations in the attack anthrax to the same mutations in a flask of anthrax in Ivan's lab, labeled RMR1029. According to investigators, he was the sole custodian of the flask. Ivan's was among the very few anthrax researchers nationwide, with the knowledge and ability to create the highly purified spores used in the mailings. Also, everyone else that had access to the flask was ruled out because they lacked the ability and or opportunity to prepare and store the material. Investigators were able to trace back the type of envelopes using the attacks to a specific post office in Fort Detrick. Ivins frequented this office and had a post office box there. Investigators also found similarities between language and emails he sent around the time of the attacks and messages in the letters sent to the senators. Hidden messages and codes were used in some of the letters, and Ivins was known to be fascinated with this subject. The letters A and T were highlighted in some of the notes, and these letters are significant in genetics. The codes and hidden messages in the letters match those found in a code book that Ivans had in his possession, which he tried to hide from investigators. Investigators discovered that a few months after the attacks, 
Ivans had taken environmental samplings of anthrax contamination from the lab without permission. He also decontaminated his office and lab without reporting it. Also, he had submitted false anthrax samples to FBI officials, apparently to throw them off his trail. There was also evidence that he had tried to frame his co-workers. He also threatened to kill anyone who wronged him, including those investigating the case. Investigators discovered that Ivan's mental health deteriorated following the attacks. In the spring of 2008, he posted violent messages on the internet and made death threats at a group therapy session. A mental health provider noted that for decades, he had a history of homicidal threats, actions, and plans. Well, okay, a mental health provider noted, th- noted this? Why the hell was he not put in an, an institution? Yeah, I mean, is, is it the whole deal? This? Like, if you threaten to hurt somebody else, that's when they have to break the uh, confidentiality agreement? That's what I thought. If you, if you threaten to hurt yourself or somebody else is like one of the only, or if you molested a kid, that's the only time that a therapist has to break his... Uh... And then you had a prior psychiatrist who also believed that he was a sociopath with homicidal intentions. Well, that's 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 good. That's what you want. So this guy, like all these different psychiatrists and, and health fit providers, they were all like, this guy is fucking certifiably crazy. And he's he's dangerous. Oh, let's still let him, you know, work with anthrax. Seems like a bit of an oversight <laughs> on their part. <laughs> she would think just a bit. The fact that he was nabbed as the guy who did it just makes the U.S. government look extremely fucking foolish here and incompetent in a, in a multitude of ways. Like You're not going to do any psych evaluations when you have somebody who uh, is in charge of dealing with a potentially lethal bacteria and, co- and, and a toxin. You're just going to be like, eh, whatever. We don't need it. Oh, we we trust him. He looks he looks like he's sane. That's enough for us. And look at his look at his track record. <laughs> look at his resume. He's the perfect guy for the job. Oh, look at these psych evaluations for premium psychiatrist. Seth, whatever you know. Isn't everyone a little <laughs> bit crazy? I know I get crazy when I have too much to drink. When questioned, Ivans was unable to explain the evidence against him. Before investigators were able to arrest him, he committed suicide on July 29th, 2008 by swallowing excess amounts of Tylenol PM. What? What? I didn't know he could die that way. I thought he was gonna like, I, I thought so. he was gonna anthrax himself. Well, that'd probably be a very uncomfortable way to die, but still. What the fuck? Yep. Tylenol PM? Thor- yeah. Jeez. Authorities have yet to establish Ivan's motive in the case, but they pointed out that he was bitterly disappointed that funding for his research project had been cut. So, oh, they're going to cut my anthrax research project. I'll show them. I'm going to infect everyone with anthrax. (laughs) Where's the logic behind that? It's nowhere to be found because this guy is a nut job. He was a nut job when he had the job. So, they suspect that he may have committed the attack so that his project, which involved the analysis of anthrax vaccines, would get more funding and attention. Like, isn't that... That's fucking crazy. So, his deluded mind decided, oh, I'm going to infect people with anthrax, and it's going to raise attention for anthrax and what I'm doing, so then I will be able to create vaccines for the anthrax. 
Yeah, gotta admit, didn't really make much sense there, Tim. No. So the FBI formally ended their investigation in February of 2010, concluding that Ivans was responsible and had worked alone. Well, that's good. They figured it out and everyone's happy, except for the people who died and, you know, whatever else happened. It's a, it's a great case, and it was honestly a uh, nice send-off to the... Uh, it, it wasn't the last uh, segment that aired on the last episode, but it, I think it was like the first segment they, that they discussed on the last episode. The last episode actually ended with a lost loves. Really? Yes. Oh, God. Trying to send him out on a sweet note, I guess. Apparently. Jeez. Uh, I, I still think, though, for the last episode of the series, because I'm not really counting non-Robert Stack Unsolved Mysteries as a part of, of this series. It's a whole other thing. They did save one of the... One of the uh, best cases that they could from this particular time period that they were doing taking cases from for last all right so the next thing we're gonna run through here real quick uh is uh we have another segment where we read one star reviews of our podcasts that have been left by you fine people so anyway you know you can leave reviews for us in many ways from many countries uh, some of these reviews we can't see, some of them we can. As it stands today, we have 104 five-star reviews. We have 35 one-star reviews. If you go to any other podcast, you'll see that uh, those numbers are usually much, the ratio is usually much greater. They'll have 200 five-stars and 10 one-stars, but for whatever reason, me and Mike are a little on the divisive side, apparently. And uh, from time to time, a angry NPR listener will stumble upon our podcast and they will feel the need to take the piss out of us. So uh, here are some some of the things that the people have to say, Uh, starting off with this one from um, let's see here from January 23rd, 2019 by Car Dutch. The name of this review is An Exercise in Idiocy. Honestly, I'm sad that a really well-done podcast that's well-researched and thought out, like Insight, recommended this podcast. Judgmental, self-promoting, ridiculous. So (laughs) they're referring to when we did a cross-promotion with the Insight podcast. Uh And it's funny that this person says, uh, well-researched, thought out, blah, 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 like Insight, because... They actually shut down for a while because of plagiarism, because one of the uh, co-hosts was plagiarizing the uh, content. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if we did that, we could have a really well-researched fucking podcast, too, card douche. <laughs> but now... Um, but, I mean, we're, we're taking stuff from Wikia and other... But we're not trying to say it's our own. No, so. we've never, we've like never we said- tried to pass this shit off. As if it's our own. No. And I'm not trying to throw any shade on the Insight podcast there. No. Allie has been really cool to me. um, And I appreciate her running our promos on there. And um, I don't really know the other co-hosts that well. But I hope I I heard they're back now. And I hope they're doing good. Uh, Our next uh, review is just called Hmm. From March 15th, 2019. They said, I don't know if there's any value in the host acting like, quote, two cool DJs, end quote, while they discuss murder victims. 
And the one guy promoting his band? This just seems like too casual for the subject matter. This is the worst of murdertainment. Very, very disrespectful. <laughs> disrespectful, okay, all right. Had to go there. Um, because we dare to uh, bring some levity to stuff that's just really heavy and dark and depressing. Yeah. And it's not my fault that when I talk, I naturally sound like a, a well-polished professional radio DJ like the late, great Casey Kasem. Uh, it's not my fault that I have that much talent and skill. I think that you, ma'am, are intimidated by such a high-quality, polished production as ours. <laughs> and as for my band, well... Stop promoting your band, Josh. Well, the thing <laughs> is, is that's what I really want to be doing. I don't want to be doing this bullshit podcast every week. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you're going to hear about the fucking band more often than not. And I'm just joking. I love the podcast and I love the people who listen to it. Um, but no, I, the band, like music is like my child. It's like the thing that I've been living for since I was a fucking kid. So to like ask me. Yeah, it's his other passion. And, and so. I'll let you guys in on a little secret out there in, in listener land. If I don't promote my band, nobody else fucking will because nobody cares about music now like they used to. No, there are no A&R guys in bars waiting to find the next great thing like they were back in like the 70s and 80s and even yeah. 90s to a certain extent. You have to be your own PR person, your own art director, your own photographer, your own producer, your own engineer, your own everything. The list goes on. So I'm sorry that you don't like hearing about my band, but you're just going to have to suck it up for like the one minute that I talk about my band as opposed to the... Uh, 99 minutes that I'm not talking about my band. The next review is uh, by Rach Marie's, and it was from May 8th, 2019, and it's just called Meh. She says, uh, or whoever they are, I would love to hear the topics, but the hosts talk way too much about other things. Literally had to fast forward 30 minutes to finally start hearing about the topic, and even then it gets still gets off topic. Now, this is a classic complaint about our podcast. This this complaint is as old as the podcast itself. No chit-chat. No chit-chat. Too much chit-chat at the beginning, and it's just a hallmark of our podcast. I'm sure other podcasts do the same exact format of like chit-chatting before getting into the story, but it is like a big thing for us. Because honestly, if I if we just regurgitated uh, a Wikipedia article, why the fuck would you want to listen to that? Exactly. I mean, and and the stuff where we go off topic that that ties. I into mean, that, that too. is our po- that a lot of the time we're still kind of on topic. Yeah, like that's that's it, who it, we are. That like going off topic and you know what that is like the DNA of this particular podcast. That's why you would listen to this one. Over uh, over another one. If you want a structured, well-made podcast about this shit, listen to The Trail Went Cold, you know, or, you know, something like that. You know, Robin is very uh, good at, at presenting a different kind of podcast. It's very put together and it's... it's yeah, this isn't this American life. Yeah, it, 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 but his podcast <laughs> isn't comical. It's not... He's not telling no. you about his life. You're not being invested in, his, you know, whatever. I mean, but it's... We're just two guys who love Unsolved Mysteries, talking about Unsolved Mysteries uh, cases and shooting the shit. Yeah. That's really what yeah, it is. Much. Who, you know, happen to be friends, who the, have, you know... Very calm, relaxed, you know, for the most part. Yeah podcast so anyway the next one is from is from uh two trout m7 it was published august 28th 2019 
It's called Disrespectful. It's a one star. All of these have been one stars. Of course. Disrespectful. I, Again. I listened to an episode about a family member that went missing about 20 years ago, and they were horribly disrespectful and judgmental towards her. Okay, now let's dissect that. A family member that went missing about 20 years ago, and they were horribly disrespectful and judgmental towards her. I don't know what this person could be referring to. Yeah, she's, they're not even bringing up the case. Uh, she, they're not even bringing up the episode they go on, of the podcast. They go on to say, I came to learn a little more and see what I could find out, but the first 20 minutes consist, consisted of disparaging her because her name and lifestyle. Granted, she very well could have gone down a bad path before she disappeared, but that is no reason to talk about someone who is missing in a negative way because of their name and speculating on their uh, possible oh, lifestyle. Okay, okay. so just because someone goes missing, we can't say certain things. We have to, we have to be politically correct. They become like the Pope at that point when they go missing. They're, they're above reproach. We can't speculate. Yeah, we there. But but if they if they didn't go missing, could we have still said what we said and not not be dis- disrespectful? I mean, um, dis- I don't even it- know what I don't even know what we said. No, I like, don't either. See, there's no context yeah. to any of this. Disrespectful. So to- it, it might be one of those things where we might be go look back at it, and be like, okay, maybe you know we could have yeah like, I mean, eased back right. a little bit on that. And I, I'm but, not like, you know. I, I mean, obviously people are, are, you know, critiquing us in this. So I am defending us to a certain degree, but I'm also not uh, closed off to being absolutely wrong on something and being like, oh, okay, that was a legitimate. But I just haven't heard anything yet where I'm like, yeah, you got me on that one. Well, they don't bring up any examples. So how are we supposed to go back and like see if we... We're too disrespectful if you're not even telling us what podcast it was and what case it was. Like, you're just a missing person. The per- per- a girl went missing 20 years ago. Like, we've covered tons of cases like that. <laughs> that doesn't help us at all. Yeah. If you're trying to give us constructive criticism... Be more specific. Here's some advice. Be more specific. Yeah. Actually allow us to be able to criticize ourselves and our work because we can't do that if we don't have the details that are required to be able to do that uh this one or also maybe get a sense of humor that's yeah that's another thing that's the main that's the main <laughs> takeaway because you know i we're not being serious no, i like, don't know these people if i met this family do you think i would be saying anything f- no i would be of the utmost you know respect and everything it's but it's like i don't know these people this is like a uh, like you know, a TV show to me, as far as I'm concerned, and we're just you know hosts that have to amp things up for entertainment value. You know, that's all this is is for entertainment value. Anyway, that's the whole reason you fucking listen to a podcast. I God help you if you listen to our podcast in particular to be educated on anything, because that's <laughs> not going to happen. This next one from October 9th, two thousand nineteen, is titled "Makes Me Laugh." They say cringeworthy. The, oh, this one's attacking me personally, Mike, so you can sit back and uh, get some popcorn for this one. Cringeworthy. The host is one of the whiniest and self-absorbed podcast hosts out there. Less than half the story and more than half the host crying about his problems, dislikes, or opinions. Well, that could be both of us right there. Yeah, exactly. His band, his band <laughs> sounds awful, and he couldn't hold a tune if his life depended on it. Okay. Uh, well, I definitely disagree with that. I mean, I, I think J- uh, Josh has a pretty, a really good point. And, and I, I feel like my parents are writing this review at this point. 
Yeah. Uh, move on, people, to better podcasts. This guy is just pathetic. Robert Stack would be ashamed of this sad sack of a host here. <laughs> oh, he dug deep. Damn. He dug deep Damn, on putting you, putting words boy. in the late, great Robert Stack's mouth or feelings and sentiments into the late, great Robert Stack's heart. How fucking dare you, J22792? Fuck you. <laughs> That's fine if you don't like my band and you don't think I can sing. Like I said, I've been hearing that, you know, from my parents no, my I, whole life. I think, I think you can sing way better than a lot of other people. I mean, and I'm a musical guy. Like, I have a musical ear, you know, and and it's one of those things where I think a lot of people, oh, you can't sing worth a shit, but like, can you? Right. Yeah. I bet that guy can't carry a tune at all. <laughs> and then he, he, uh, he actually left another review that he deleted and he titled it good podcast he gave it he still gave it a one star and then he said if you didn't have to hear about the host band so much an opinion on music half the episode i get it you got a band and that's cool you're excited to talk about it, but give it a rest now see why did he delete that one that one seemed way more uh level-headed constructive yeah yeah uh you got triggered that's what that's what happened we got one here that I'm only able to see because of this website, Chartable, and this one's actually from Great Britain, which, like I said, we normally can't see uh, these reviews. This was from uh, August 27th. It's titled, Awful. Just don't bother too much me, 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 not a lot of stories. Again, classic complaint, too much chit-chat, get to the stories. You'll like this one, Mike. This was also from Great Britain, uh, October 1st, 2019, and it's titled, Where's Mike? Question mark, exclamation point. Have been with this pod from the start, but have recently started skipping episodes because I want Josh and Mike, not Josh and Bimbo. Seriously, no, stop. I'd, ra- <laughs> oh, wow. I'd rather have a week of no uncovering unexplained mysteries rather than listening to Josh swoon over this Courtney Love wannabe. No more. Josh and, Mike, no, Josh and Mike or no pod. Simple. Drop this tartlet. Bros before hoes, man. Lo- <laughs> Love. A listener on the edge of clicking unsubscribe. Out. Oh, my God. Burn. God. Man, Steph. Steph got some, some cold lotion on that one. Yeah, man. That's... that's uh, She's talk tartlet. She's talk about being disrespectful. Holy shit! An absolute. She's just. A I know. Tartlet. I thought that was. I thought I actually thought that was kind of a hilarious term. Tartlet. Like that's like a mini tart. Like oh, look at the little tartlet. Yeah. I don't know if she'd find that offensive. I don't know. No, she. she Maybe was, she was kind of upset about that one. I mean, I, you know, yeah. I, I had to tell her that. Look, dude. You know, you just. This is the internet. I mean. People are assholes. You, you just, you just, honestly, you get used to it. I mean, the awful, and that, and that's what happens when you put yourself out there like that. You're gonna have people who're gonna be like, "Oh, who's this bitch?" Right? You know, or that kind yeah, of thing. they're gonna automatically assume she's a slut, and you're fucking her, and you're in love with her, and that's the only reason she's on there, not because she has any merits as a, you know, person who can contribute, but. You know, oh, and yeah, you know that it's it's it, during those kind of times that I truly see the sex, the the the, the misogynist and sexist yeah. mentality with uh, some some men, some men, ladies, some men. Hashtag not yeah, all men. The, I yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> this all men bullshit can go take a hike, you know. But yeah, some men are yeah extremely yeah. just piggish assholes. Well, you know, uh, I just. 
I think Steph did a good job. I know, you know, for a first I time. Think, I think you she know, did a good job too. First time around, so yeah, you know, don't 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 let it keep you down. Yeah. So those are all the one stars that I could dig up that I think that we haven't read yet. Uh, the other ones look like ones that we've. I wonder if anyone's sent any like sarcastic like five star reviews. You know, um, but that that would take such a long time. No, to, I to mean, research. you know, so our last five star was August 12th, 2019 from Skittles Lover 66. I already like this person. Uh, excellent podcast covering an excellent show. I love this podcast. Josh and Mike are real. They say what they think. Unsolved Mysteries was special. And as a 40 year old woman, I have found I have fond memories of it that I cannot share with everyone because they don't appreciate it as I do. Thanks to these guys, I can relive these awesome episodes and actually have Josh and Mike say exactly what I feel. Keep up the great work, and I thank you for all you do, gentlemen. <laughs> oh, cool. Thank yeah, you. but, you know, I, and I do appreciate that so much, and I love that, and that's amazing, but, you know, the negativity, I think, is more interesting to people. <laughs> it's more, inter- I guess it's more entertaining. Yeah, it's more entertaining hearing people tear us apart than it is, you know, saying how great we are, even though I even though I love seeing that shit, and if you guys... Well, I do, too. I mean, that, that means a lot. Yeah. I mean, that that's one of the big reasons why we keep doing right. this, is because of the support we get from you. Yep. And if you haven't yet left us a review on iTunes or wherever else, please do so. Please leave us a, a, a good review if you feel like this is a good show. Um, and, and, and buoy our spirits. Buoy them! Buoy, I say! But uh, anyway, yeah, that's uh, we're in at an hour 34, and I've got to go to my trivia gig and then host some karaoke. This was a nice, nice fat podcast for you to take a pinch of it and stick it in your lower lip like the uh, rednecks down here, like they do with the chewing tobacco. Uh, if you want more of Josh and Mike, uh, but you want to separately, you, we're maybe a little too together for you, and you'd like some separate Mike and some separate Josh a la carte, you can visit our YouTube channels. You can find Mike at youtube.com slash OCP communications. He's a movie guy. He mainly talks about movies. Mike, what was the last video you did? The last video I did was a review of season one of Creepshow, the new uh, Shudder anthology series that uh, debuted this year. So that's the last video I did. It's kind of like a podcast. It's just like close to an hour. Cool. So cool, cool. You know, one of those things you just put on while you're doing laundry or whatever. And you know. yeah, so go over there and check that out. If you want to check out my YouTube channel, it's YouTube.com/slash Dancing with Ghosts, which is also the name of my band. If you want to check us out on Spotify, which you totally should. Um, I do videos about more music-related topics, uh, music history, kind of doing little documentaries on things. Uh, the last video that I did was, uh, it's still the same one from last week, the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's awful inductee choices. Uh, groups such as NWA are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and ABBA are in the Rock and Roll Hall yep. of Fame. The most non-rock acts, this this organization has no credibility. So go on over to my YouTube channel if you want, me to, if you want to hear me bitch about uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and how clueless they are. And what's next? Are they gonna induct the Partridge family? I mean what <laughs> Donnie Marie. <laughs> with these with these uh you know requirements, they might as well. I mean, if they if they're you know grading off of this rubric, they might as well in, in, induct mm-hmm. them. It, it seems seems like it's a popularity contest more than it has anything to do with artistic merit or, or rock. And it looks like uh Josh and his band are gonna be doing a cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah. We are going to be in Orlando, Florida, on. Let me pull up the date here because I can't remember off the top of my head. 
On December 6th at Stonewall in Orlando, Florida, we will be cool. performing. So uh, go. That sounds like it could be a, a really cool, unique show. Yeah, it's a band we're playing with called Sin 9. It's their album release party, and they've graciously asked us to play the show with them. Uh, we've, we've become fr- uh, friends together yeah. uh over are you gonna be are you gonna have special cyberpunk outfits uh we won't we're gonna be doing our normal you know costuming but uh they are very very much cyberpunk uh it's their their stage okay. show is ridiculous for being just like a you know diy touring band they they're i can't believe they bring that equipment to every one cool. of their shows it's crazy but yeah um so yeah you can go to the dancing with ghosts facebook page and keep up with all the latest dancing with ghost news on there and if you want to uh hit us up on patreon and give us some money to get the podcast early uh, and you can also submit any uh suggestions for future topics to cover uh you can head over to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries and i am tired of talking which sucks because i i now have to go to trivia and do a lot more talking But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, please don't die and come back for some more podcasts. Bye. See ya.